You're listening to a message from Severe Heights. To learn more about us, go to www.severeheights.org. Well, good morning. How many are tired this morning? Show of hands. How many still a little anxious and kind of worked up over last night? Show of hands. I, I looked, <laughs> Jenny and I were yelling, and my daughter went to bed. She's like, I don't know why y'all are yelling. Uh, but I, I never cease to amaze myself about how worked up I get over sporting events, especially on Saturday nights when I'm supposed to be going over the last bit of the notes and then getting some rest. But um, we are here today to close out the series, and I'm excited about closing out the series. I want to begin with the word, two words actually, and they are previously on. All right, so I want to catch you up to speed on where we've been the last three weeks. Um, we've looked in Luke chapter 15, and the chapter begins with Jesus addressing two different audiences. One is the tax collectors and the sinners. In other words, these are the misbehaviors. The other is the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the behaviors. And there is tension on behalf of why Jesus has so much in common with the behaviors, but he spends so much time with the misbehaviors. And why the misbehaviors actually enjoy spending so much time with Jesus. So Jesus decides to address the tension, and he tells a series of three stories to these groups in the audience. Uh, The the three stories are, number one, the story of the lost sheep. Number two, the story of the lost coin. Uh, Those two stories are at the beginning. They're rather short. He wants to make sure that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the tax collectors and the sinners, he wants to make sure, okay, you guys are on the same page. I know you have nothing in common. You don't even like each other. But as I tell this story to address the tension, I need you both in agreement. Uh, The gist of the two stories are, okay, suppose you had 100 sheep, you lose one. Wouldn't you leave everything to go find the one? Everybody's nodding in agreement. Uh, If you had 10 valuable coins, you lose one. Wouldn't you drop everything to go find for the one? And everybody's nodding in agreement. They're looking back and forth. They're totally agree. This isn't supposed to happen. And then Jesus says, and wouldn't you throw a party if you found the one? And everybody's like, absolutely we would. Well, then Jesus transitions into another story. And this is the story that we're, we're spending most of our time with. Today's the conclusion. This story is about the wayward son, the compassionate father, and the older brother. At week number two, we looked at the wayward son. We looked at his crazy requests. The crazy request was, hey dad, can we act like you're dead? Our relationship's not doing well. And can you go ahead and cash in the inheritance that belongs to me and give it to me? It was a crazy request, but then we saw an even crazier response. Jesus tells the story, and he says that the father looked at the son and said, okay, we'll do it. And the father liquidates his assets. He gives the remainder to the son. The son lives as if the dad has died, and he goes on his way. The audience they're floored. They can't believe that a dad would do that. So a crazy request, an even crazier response. And then we see a clear-headed realization. After the son spends everything that the dad has given him, the Bible says he comes to his senses. Like he wasted it in no time. He had friends, but he lost the friends. As soon as the money's gone, he's, he's coming to his senses. And then he makes a conscious decision to go back home. Like he makes a statement, you know what? I will rise. I will go. And I will say, Like, I'll rise from this mess where I'm broke. I will go back to the house that I came from, and I'll tell my dad, look, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against God. Would you please just just take me back as a servant, not even as a son, because I'm not worthy to be a son. And as soon as he gets home, the Bible says that the father was 
looking, right? The father is running. In fact, he's racing. The father is loving, meaning the father embraces him, holds him, kisses him. And then the son pulls out his four by six card, begins his speech that he worked on his dad. He begins the speech and says, dad, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. And the dad interrupts and the dad says, quick, somebody go get the rope, the ring, the sandals, the fattened calf. Let's play music and let's dance. It's time for a celebration. The dad would conclude by saying, this son that was dead, he's now alive. And the son that's been lost has now been found. And the audience response, what is he talking about? He's got all of us so confused. Like, like the first two stories, the lost sheep, the lost coin, it made sense. But we're struggling with this one. Uh, if, if you're in the room today and you're somewhat familiar with the story of the prodigal son, chances are the story probably stopped there. Like if you're somewhat uh, affiliated with church and the Bible, perhaps someone was teaching this, and all of a sudden, for many, the story just kind of the end. But you got to realize that today we will look at the older brother. Because at the beginning, as Jesus is telling the story, he said there was a father that had two sons. So today, as we look at the older brother, we spent time looking a couple weeks ago at the misbehaving son. Now it's time to look at the behaving brother. Uh, he's doing what good sons do. He's outside working on the father's property. He's doing whatever it takes. And as he's finished the day, he and some of his friends, the other servants, are headed back in the direction of the house. Oddly enough, they hear music. They look close and they see dust. It's tied to dancing. They smell ribeye. Oh no, someone has killed dad's fattened calf. Dad's going to be upset. Oh, wait a minute. I think that's Bob on the grill. He's worked with our family forever. And that calf, that was for my graduation. A servant from the house kind of intersects them as they're coming close to the home. And the older brother asks, hey, what's going on at the house? The servant responds, oh, um, your brother, he's back. To which the older brother responds, really? The servant says, yeah, and I hate to tell it to you, but you know the, the calf that we've been fattening for your graduation party? Your dad decided to turn it into ribeye to throw a party. He's invited the entire village. And by the way, dad wants you to come in. He wants you to come to the party and celebrate. And as Jesus is telling the story, immediately, everyone in Jesus' audience, tax collector, sinner, Pharisee, and teacher of the law, all the groups, they identify with the older brother. Meaning, Jesus continues the story by letting the audience know how the older brother feels contrast this with how they thought the father should feel last week verse 28 the older brother became angry um have you ever met anyone who claims to be a christian and they're all the time angry and perhaps it's a pastor could be a priest uh, maybe it was a deacon, maybe it was a Sunday school teacher, maybe it's someone you looked up to, maybe it's a parent, a grandparent. But on behalf of how things are going, on behalf of what's happening in the lives of others, they would be all the time mad. 
Uh, You can't help but wonder on a day like this if there's anybody in this room that perhaps ran from God, maybe ran from church because of an experience with someone or a group of someones that were all the time angry. Um, You're not sure if they're mad at the world. You're not sure if they're just jealous. Uh, You're not sure. Maybe they're unpleasable, but it seems like the only time they're happy is when they're not happy at something else. They're always known for what they're against. You can't help but wonder, what is it about their anger? Why does it seem like they're against everything? To the point where you're stating, I even feel like they're kind of against me. Um, on behalf of those feelings, that's what Jesus is describing that the older brother feels to this audience. And all the audience is like, I kind of get it. Verse 28, the older brother became angry, and then to show his anger, he refused to go in. So let's review a little bit of this. Dad throws a party, invites the community, the village. He's got music, he's got dancing. They're eating the fattened calf. Look, on one side of the house is the younger brother who feels like he doesn't deserve to be at the party. And on the other side of the house, outside, is the older brother who doesn't feel like the younger, the younger brother deserves to be at the party. And believe it or not, the older brother on the other side is angry. So much so that he doesn't want to go to the party. And the father, he just wants a celebration. He's throwing a party. And sure, the younger, wayward son, he doesn't deserve to be there. And the older brother knows that the younger brother doesn't deserve to be there. And everyone in Jesus' audience is still confused. Man, I wish this was simple like the lost sheep. I wish it was easier like the lost coin. There's too many characters here. But let's go back to the original reason that Jesus was telling these stories. There was a tension between the two groups. A tension between the Pharisees and the sinners, the misbehaviors. And attention between them and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the behaviors. Both groups did not know what the Father is like. And both groups did not understand how the Father views all sinners. And instead of just pointing this out and saying that out loud, Jesus wants them to feel it. And so he presses in even more on the story. It's like he's all up in their emotions. Verse 28, the older brother became angry, refused to go in. So his father went out and he pleaded with him. Son, I know you're angry. But I want you to come inside. I want you to come inside and be a part of the party. The older brother responds, no. And let me tell you why. Verse 29, he answered his father, look, all these years, I have been slaving for you, and I never disobeyed your orders. I want you to look closely at those words. All these years, I've been slaving for you, and I never disobeyed your orders. I mean, this is the reason this guy's angry, and it's a reason that Many Christians claim to be all the time angry. We think that we deserve something that somebody else undeserving might get. After all, we've been so faithful. 
we've been obedient. It wasn't easy for us either, but we stayed in the marriage. We didn't flirt. We didn't cheat. We never got out of church. We've always tithed. We've always worked hard. Understand, on behalf of anyone in this room that claims to be Christ, and there is a temptation for us to develop the same tendencies as the older brother, the longer we've worked at our obedience, the angrier we can become. Add to it, and any time something good happens to someone bad, there's a tendency to get more angry. You know why? Because we said it last week. We are firm believers that you reap what you sow. You get what's coming to you. Firm believers that what goes around eventually comes around. You make your bed, you sleep in it. And your past should come back to haunt you. But on behalf of this story, honestly, we need to understand something. Ready? If you and I are angry, you and I are not like the father in the story. The father was compassionate about a son that ran far. Son, the father was compassionate about a son that returned. Take it a step further. Not only if you're angry, you're not like the father. A step further, if you're angry, you and I are not good followers. And unfortunately, I think we've all seen a lot of mad Christians that do things and say things that are extremely confusing to those that know nothing about the heart of the father. And those far from God, those running from God, often think our response is God's response. One of the crazy things is, I think, angry Christians often flock together. They develop their likes and dislikes. They leave churches and create their own churches. They become their own clubs, they are their own things. And over time, they, on accident, are giving an inaccurate view to a lost world about a father's response to wayward kids, thinking he's all the time angry. Back to the older brother's response to the father. Look at it. I've been slaving for you. I never disobeyed your orders. You never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Let me show you how much he loves his brother. He never even calls him his brother. Look, but when this son of yours, won't even call him his brother. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. By the way, you'll notice not only does he not call him his brother, he never calls the dad dad. Doesn't even call him father. And he's on this soapbox kick. He's like, dad, you, you worked all your life for this. And in a matter of a few months, he squandered everything that you worked for. And by the way, did you know, did you know that he even spent it on prostitutes? Probably shouldn't have told you that part, but it happened. Dad, the way you're treating him, it's not fair. Get ready for the father's response. Verse 31, my son. The father said, you are always with me. I mean, this conversation is going on outside the house. On the far side, the father's pleading with him to come to the party. Son's going on his rant. The father says, you're always with me. The son is frustrating. Like, what, what are you talking about? Did you hear anything that I just said? Why are you changing the subject? To which the son could say, but what does that have to do with anything that I just said? And the father could lovingly respond, it has 
everything to do with everything. Verse 31, my son, the father said, you're always with me. Look here, everything that I have is yours. I know in your mind you're going through all these scenarios about how he doesn't deserve it. But if you will, I want you to look around. Look at the estate. Look at the food. Look at, look at this celebration. Everything that I have is yours. I haven't forgotten you. Son, you're always, you are always with me. He explains further. The dad says, but we had to celebrate, and look at the words, and be glad. Not mad. Not angry. Not jealous. And here come the words again on why we should be glad. Because this brother of yours, he was dead. And he's alive. He was lost. Remember the lost story? And now he's found. In other words, he was dead, but now he's alive. He wasn't with me. He wasn't with us. But now he's with me. Now he's with us. Better yet, he was lost. But now he's found. He, he wasn't with us. He wasn't with me. But now, you just go over the party. Look, but now he is with us. He's with me. So son, please, I want you to come to the party. Come be with us. Not because your brother is getting what he deserves. And in this moment, it's like Jesus pulls back the curtain as he tells the story. And the audience, the tension between those two groups, they're starting to get it. On behalf of the Father, it's not about good performance. It's not about bad performance. It's about proximity to the Father. Better yet, it's not about good behavior. It's not about bad behavior. It's about both of you being with me. Son, he's back. You never left. That's why we're having this party. And I'm really not sure what you're so mad about. Uh, truth, truth be told, son, this might surprise you. But you being the older brother... You and the younger brother, you've probably got a lot more in common than you think. I mean, if you think about it, you both think this party should be about good performance. Think about it. You both think this party is affiliated with good behavior. Think about it. He doesn't think he's good enough. And you don't think he's good enough. But it has nothing to do with performance. You didn't perform. He didn't perform. No one performs their way into this party. And no one can perform them, themselves out of the party. On behalf of behavior, no one behaved themselves in. No one can misbehave themselves out. It has nothing to do with performance. It has everything to do with proximity to the Father. I want you with me. It has nothing to do with behavior. It has everything to do with being with me. And son, I want both of you with me. So please, come inside. Let's just take a minute to consider what Jesus is saying about the heart of the Father. And there are some of you in this room right now that need to hear this in a very significant way. You need to feel it. What Jesus is getting at on behalf of both boys 
There is nothing you can do to make the Father love you more. And there is nothing that you can do to make the Father love you any less. And on behalf of anyone that is not in this room today, on behalf of anybody that you work with, think through the names. On behalf of anyone you're in class with or you're on a team with and they get on your last nerve. On behalf of anyone that's in your neighborhood, those on the other side of town, those on the other side of the state, this country, this world, understand this. There is nothing they can do to make the Father love them anymore. And there is nothing they can do to make the Father love them any less. And when you and I get angry, mad, frustrated, do you know where our anger comes from? The same place as the older brother. We think we deserve something that somebody undeserving might get. Meaning, I've worked so long. I've worked so hard. I've got this streak of obedience up. I'm not perfect, but at least I'm not like him. I'm not like them. We're definitely not like her. At least we stayed married. I didn't cheat. I don't even flirt. I never went crazy. My kids didn't go rogue. We've always stayed at church. We've always tithed. Understand, this is the indication that we have the heart of the older brother. But on behalf of all of those statements, what Jesus is letting us know, it's not about performance. It's not about behavior. Good performance, bad performance, good behavior, bad behavior. It's all about being with God. And by the way, God delights in our behavior. The scripture says it makes him smile. It warms his heart. And on behalf of all of these things, the problem is we are bothered because we think we deserve something that somebody undeserving might get. So I want to ask this question as we close out the series. On behalf of our church, what happens when we get this thing right? Some of you are saying, Tim, in all seriousness, sin, not getting you mad, oh, it does more than get us mad. The cue for sin isn't anger. The cue for sin is the heart of the Father. Listen to the the Father's heart. Ready? Think about it. This is what you and I should be like. When anyone runs from God, it should always break our heart. And when anyone comes home to God, it should always move our heart. And unfortunately for far too many, we take the older brother perspective I mean, you could, you could develop a sermon series on this one message and say, you might be the older brother if. And on behalf of when people run from God, ready for this? Stay with me. On behalf of a country that runs from God, on behalf of, let's say, politics, on behalf of a community, on behalf of things happening in a city where people are running from God, on behalf of teammates and friends and coworkers, when they run from God, instead of it getting you angry, how to just break our heart. Look at the Father. He was moved with compassion, Jesus says. He never stopped looking. He never stopped running. And he never stopped loving. And when you and I get angry on behalf of someone's running, ready? If it doesn't break our heart, or they're returning, if it doesn't move our heart, then you and I have work to do. This church has work to do. 
Because if we're all the time mad, we don't look like the father in the story. And we're definitely not doing a good job following his son. So Jesus looks to the audience as he's closing this thing up. Looks to the well-behaving Pharisees and teachers of the law. And he looks to the misbehaving tax collectors and sinners. And he said, hey, can I, can I tell you guys how the Father views you? you know, I spent all this time talking about lost sheep, lost coins, and now a lost son, a compassionate father, and, a, and an older brother that's jealous. He's like, hear me out. There is nothing, absolutely nothing you can do to make the Father love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make the Father love you any less. On behalf of our response to the, when anyone runs or when anyone returns, when anyone runs from God, it should always break our heart, just like the Father. And when anyone returns, they come home to God. It should always move our heart. And that's why this church should continue to make a big deal when anyone comes home. That's why when you see baptisms like you saw today, there ought to be extreme celebrations in this room. Parties. Because every time we see a baptism, it's one more story of someone coming home. Uh, today, we have selected a song to close out close out this series and here's what I want you to understand on behalf of this final song ready please listen carefully it is a song for both sons the misbehaving and the behaving the one that ran from home and the one that never left home the one that made so many mistakes and the one that's just so caught up in himself that he looks down and he's mad at everyone else this is a song for both sons. Here's why. You read the story. Both sons have been invited to the party. And both sons have a seat at the table. This party has nothing to do with performance. Nobody performs their way in. No one performs their way out. It's all about proximity. Being with the father. And this party... By God's grace, it has nothing to do with behavior. You can't behave your way in. You can't behave your way out. It has nothing to do with behavior. It has everything to do with being with the Father. And one final word for this series. I want everyone in the room to hear me out. Let's close with this. It's not too late to come home. With heads bowed and eyes closed, as we prepare to sing this last song, um, something I want to encourage you to do. As I said, this is a song for both sons. The misbehaving, the well-behaving, the one that's running, the one that's mad. I will be candidly honest with everyone in this room. I am a recovering older brother. I got still struggle with some of those tendencies. And if you're like me, or perhaps you're in a season right now that you're running from God, I'm telling you, this song is for you. So if God prods you at any moment in this song, 
younger brother, older brother, or just someone that's thankful. As one of these lyrics hits you, whether or not someone to your left or right stands, don't worry. I just want to encourage you to stand. It might be the beginning, it might be the middle, it might be the end, but somewhere in this story, by God's grace, this is a song of gratitude because both sons have been invited to the table.